Hello and welcome to Boiled Down. I'm your host, Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. Joining me today from the Orla team is Lori Little, Director of Communications. Welcome, Lori. Thanks, Greg. So summer's coming up. Uh, we've got kids that need jobs. I know I do, at least, my 17-year-old. Um, I'm not sure I can put my 8-year-old to work legally yet, but... Uh, it's never too early, right? I don't think so. I mean, I started, well, I don't know about that young, but... Um, you know, a lot of, for a lot of folks, jobs in the restaurant industry and in the hospitality industry, it's their job of first opportunity. Uh, it's the first experience they have outside of the home. Uh, I think that's important. Yeah. You've got, you've got a young, young man who's going to be entering the workforce soon, I, I think. I do. And he wants to, he wants to work this summer. He is only 12. So we're going to figure out what, a, what the best job is. But he says he's already starting to save for his first car, which scares me, but I know that's going to happen. Hey, at least he's saving, right? That's a good thing. So, mm-hmm. well, for our Orla members out there, we want to make sure that you're getting the most out of your membership. Uh, to help you do that, we like to highlight a benefit that you may or may not be aware of. And today's benefit is 10% off Snag's full suite of hiring software and solutions. Snag's America's number one hourly marketplace. They focus on creating instant and quality connections so workers can get jobs and employers can hire workers in just minutes. To learn more about Snag's hourly hiring solutions for Orla members, please visit connect.snagajob.com slash O-R-L-A. And if you're not a member, visit OregonRLA.org where you can join and start taking advantage of the numerous benefits that we have to offer you. So today we have two great interviews for you. We're going to get into stopping food waste. And our first interview is with Alex Bertolucci, Green Business Advisor from Washington County, and Scott Youngblood, General Manager and Playground Director from Embassy Suites, uh, Hilton, Portland. Our second interview will be with Punky Scott, owner of The Bomber in Milwaukee. And now I'm very excited to introduce our first guests, Alex Bertolucci, Green Business Advisor from Washington County. Hi, Alex. Hi. And Scott Youngblood, General Manager and Playground Director from Embassy Suites, Hilton, Portland at Washington Square. Hi, Scott. Good morning. Great to have you both with us today. Um, So, Alex, let's start with you. We're here today to talk about how to reduce food waste. Um, That's an issue, obviously, that's important to a lot of folks in the food service industry. So how are local governments like Washington County helping businesses reduce food waste? Yeah, so Washington County, uh, along with Metro and the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality and other jurisdictions throughout the area. Uh, We work with food folks like Scott here uh, who generate food and so therefore food waste. And our whole goal is to help throw away less of that food. So through prevention, not wasting the food to start out with, uh, donating food that's left over, and then in the end, composting that food waste so it's not going to landfill. Um, In Oregon, obviously, we care a lot about our food. It's great. We've got a lot of it. Uh, And so we care about what we're doing with that food at the end of its life as well. And we want to take care of that. That's a great point. A lot of uh, customers obviously uh, care about where the food comes from uh, in the beginning of that cycle. And now it seems like more and more uh, they're concerned with where it ends up at the end of the life cycle. For sure. We see it as a, a large uh, point now with businesses is not just where the food comes from, but where it goes. And for businesses, it's also, uh, it can help their bottom line to not be throwing this food that they're buying and paying for in the, in the long run. Sure. Yeah. Very important, obviously. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's great to have that food that is sourced locally. Um, but we want to make sure that we're taking care of it as well and not, not wasting it. Uh, it is a, it is a great natural resource that we have. So, 
Scott, tell us about what you do with your work with Washington County and how did you and Alex kind of get together and start working on this, the food waste issue? Well, we had been handicapped for the longest time, just in terms of our ability to remove food waste from the, from the stream. We just didn't have a great program until Alex and Washington County uh, partnered with us. We were already committed to providing uh, an amazing experience and minimal waste for our guests. And we had some strategies in place to prevent food waste, but uh, we weren't able to uh, compost what our biggest issue is, and that is food scraps, the stuff that comes out of uh, preparation and, of course, uh, serving of meals. It was a huge undertaking. Uh, but the county was able to help us make it bite-sized and manageable. No pun intended, right? <laughs> well, a little <laughs> pun intended. So, Scott, uh, you, you mentioned Sensible. Um, talk to me a little bit about the logistics of, of how that works, because I know that's a challenge for a lot of folks in the in the food service and hospitality industry, is how do we make this a part of what we're already doing in the kitchen or in the dining room? For us, it was really about partnering with Washington County in order to come up with practices that were easy and bulletproof. If we made this harder for our team members at Embassy Suites to execute, then the likelihood of it becoming uh, sticky was going to go way down. So it's it's a lot of the stuff that's uh, a, a little bit mundane. You know, the, the right containers, processes for transporting food waste, which is obviously really heavy. The ability to effectively and uh, in a sanitary way store food waste until it can be moved. The ability to make all of that turnkey through this partnership made it so that we didn't have to sweat the small stuff. We were able to focus on the mission and the vision, share that with our uh, team members. And suddenly the the level of buy-in and participation increased exponentially. Everybody wanted to be part of something that was bigger and cooler. And it was uh, easy because all of the steps were already considered uh, and delivered for us. And unlike uh, maybe a traditional restaurant, obviously you've got um, some of the issues that, that they have, but also with the catering and banquet staff that you have, I mean, there must've been some, some other challenges that you had to look at or other staff that had to be trained in maybe a, a slightly different way when you're talking about, you know, you expect 300 people to show up and maybe only 250 of them actually do. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, a big part of what we do go is uh, just planning. We have to uh, be as organized in preparation for uh, the big events as possible. Because to your point, when uh, someone schedules a dinner for 350 people and we have 250, then we need to have uh, strategies in place that we can that we can deploy. And so uh, a lot of that has to do with uh, our ability to uh, make local donations, our ability to uh, care for and manage food safely and properly uh, in the event that an eventuality like that happens. And then a lot of it is uh, making sure that we are communicating uh, right up until the last moment with our clients to ensure that we can uh, expect the the, the best intelligence necessary to prep food correctly, to uh, measure quantities of uh, production so as to reduce waste. Uh, it, it's all about preparation. So not just management and staff getting involved, but actually getting the customer involved in the process as well. Like you said, to help with, with the planning of the numbers and things is important. Absolutely. And selfishly, this is all information that we like to share with our customers because there's uh, something communal and altruistic about participating in responsible business strategies that make our customers feel as great as we do about this. Sure. Well, that makes a lot of sense. 
Alex, I'm going to jump back to you uh, real quick because wrapped up in this whole thing, the, the phases that we just talked about, and as Scott mentioned, uh, the donation phase is a part of that. Uh, there's a new campaign that Washington County is is a part of. Uh, yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Uh, Washington County, along with other cities and county governments, as well as Metro, as well as Orla, you guys are a partner with us, and the D- Oregon Department of uh, Environmental Quality, have started a campaign called Food Waste Stops With Me. And there's a, a really great website, foodwastestopswithme.org, where you businesses can find awesome resources to get in touch with their local government to get some uh, resources as well as just find resources on that website to make the business case of reducing food waste, how to do it, how to compost, how to uh, really you know donate or whatever it might be to help their business reduce that waste. Yeah. I, I know one of the challenges in the past has been um, making sure that food waste gets picked up in a timely manner. Um, you know, I've heard the stories of in the summertime, it gets a little warm and you know, the stuff that's sitting out when it gets a little hot, doesn't smell so nice. Uh, it also tends to attract some of the uh, less desirable elements, the, the, the vermin as they call them at the County. Um, how is, how is the food waste stops with me campaign addressing those issues? For sure. Uh, Washington County, along with a number of jurisdictions throughout the state have been doing this for a while. And we've learned a lot uh, working with businesses like Scott uh, and Embassy Suites and other restaurants. We've learned how best to manage this. Uh, And it is um, probably the grossest part of most waste streams at restaurants. (laughs) Right. And it can go south quick. So what we do is it's not a new stream. If it was already in the dumpster, it's now in another container. It's got lids. You can use uh, compostable bags. So there's a lot of things to make sure that it's picked up on a regular basis. We partner with our really great hauling community to make sure that the material is managed properly. And as long as the care is given to take care of this waste, just like any other garbage, restaurants and others have seen really great success with it. And we've seen, there's over 1,200 composters uh, in the metro area currently who are doing an awesome job with it. Fantastic. Well, let's jump back to the, the first phase of that, which is the prevention. I know, Scott, that you guys, like you said, you, you do a lot on the food waste prevention. Tell us about some of the results that you've had with that. The, has, has there been a cost savings? Have you seen you know, some things that have been beneficial to the business, to your customers? Absolutely. Those benefits would probably fall into maybe three categories. Um, the financial category may speak for itself. We can save thousands of dollars a month in uh, elimination of food waste from the waste stream. Obviously, our garbage hauling is predicated on weight and food is heavy. And so moving that compostable uh, food material into uh, a separate stream has had a tremendous benefit. Uh, The second benefit, and maybe my favorite, is uh, cultural, what it means for our uh, team and our associates to be able to participate in something that is awesome. It just feels great knowing that as you're preparing that uh, fruit in the morning and you're taking your rinds and skins and end pieces and putting those into a separate container, it doesn't take extra work at that moment. But there really is an element of pride when we go out to that container at the end of the day and we've got 18 or 20 compostable bags of food scraps that otherwise would have gone into the waste stream. Maybe the last benefit for us, uh, and uh, uh, one that certainly can't be understated, um, 
is the the ability to communicate these savings to our community. It it makes such a difference uh, at this day and age to be a responsible business and to take those measures that are appropriate in order to do our part, uh, both for the community and the world at large. Oh, that's great. So, and, and just a quick question, going back again to the the food waste prevention piece of it. it so, when we're talking about things like uh, your your banquets and things, are you finding that you're measuring the portions on every plate differently now? Or have you have you found that you've tried to reduce things because people were leaving certain items on their food on their plate more often? I guess it's two parts. Uh, I mean, you know, the carpenter's adage, uh, measure twice and cut once. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that, you know, the preparation logs that we do in advance of a big banquet make a tremendous amount of difference. And so we pay an awful lot of attention to the amount of food that we portion out. And then to your uh, point, we really have to know uh, and, and we have to consider what will be most consumed, what we are most likely to need extra of, and uh, what food products are most likely to, to to get less attention from customers. And, and again, that factors into the preparation so that uh, we never want to over-prepare food unnecessarily. And of course, we can never let one of our uh, guests leave Embassy Suites hungry. Yeah, well, for sure. Well, you guys do a great job at customer service. There's no question about that. So seeing the success of the efforts, uh, Scott, and you've got all that data now, which is obviously very helpful, uh, gives you some concrete information. Does that help sustain the partnership that you have moving forward? Yeah, the, the data is has been tremendous for us. I mean, we, we liken it to a diet. If you don't experience the material impacts quickly, you become discouraged and, and may slide back into old habits. So uh, by keeping in touch uh, at Embassy Suites and, you know, with our partners at Washington County, uh, they really help us stay on track by helping us demonstrate the impact of our food waste reduction efforts. Uh, it's nice to see how many pounds we're keeping out of the waste stream. It's obviously nice to see a reduction in your bill at the end of the month, and it's really nice to have the opportunity to share your success in the form of even conversations like this. And Alex, I'll put you on the spot, but uh, has Embassy really been that great of a partner? We love Embassy Suites. <laughs> um, they've, we love them so much, we've put them on some of our marketing materials. So they've been great cheerleaders for the program and really willing to come out for conversations like this and share their successes. Um, they're doing it all from prevention to donation to composting. So it's uh, And it's making business sense for them. So we love sharing this story. It's really uh, a win-win situation. So in the next few years, Alex, um, more food businesses are going to need to follow uh, Scott's lead. Obviously, Metro's looking at a mandate on food waste and, um, you know, the scraps collection. So what can businesses expect and how can they get out ahead of this if possible? For sure. Like we said, it's, uh, you know, in Oregon, we love and care about food. And this is something that both employees as well as customers care about. So trying to get this um, campaign going is something with or without a policy is it's just a good business move. Uh, and this is a multi-year campaign. This Food Waste Stops With Me campaign uh, is going on for a number of years. And, and we're here for the long haul. There's so many resources on that foodwastestopswithme.org website. Um, waste audits, uh, really great information on how to set up these programs. So um, we're here Different jurisdictions have different folks who can help out. So I really encourage the business community to reach out and find somebody like me to help them reduce that waste and 
maybe they can turn into a, an embassy suites themselves. That's great. So I know that um, in a lot of cases, the the composting now is sent to facilities in uh, places like uh, Corvallis, Eugene, um, and they turn it into fuel. Is that correct? Yeah. So a lot of the uh, food waste from the metro area for commercial food gets sent down to Junction City or Corvallis, uh, where it's turned into energy, which is kind of cool that it goes from your plate to power. And um, some of it is used for the traditional compost that you see uh, in the big windrows uh, that will be used for farms to grow new food and kind of create that cycle where that Food waste goes back to the farms to grow more food to be on your plate. It's kind of like the Lion King all over again. It's the right? circle of life. <laughs> okay. Well, um, obviously, we've got the website, foodwastestopswithme.org. Are, are there any other areas or, or any other ways that folks can learn about uh, food prevention, food waste prevention, and, and composting? There's tons of resources on the web. Uh, I encourage people to reach out to other restaurants and business owners that they know are doing this to see it's pretty easy to get set up, which is great. Um, but that Foodway Stops With Me is the one-stop shop um, to get started. And it will send you to different jurisdictions in your area. And just starting there can tell you what you need to know to get going. So foodwaystopswithme.org. Great. Scott, is there anything you'd like to tell uh, your fellow business owners out there, the the folks that are going to be participating in these types of programs to help them? Absolutely. A program like this begins with one person. You need one member of your organization. It doesn't have to be the CEO. It doesn't have to be the playground director. It can be um, anybody. In our case, it was our director of engineering at the building who said that this is something that I want to do. It's something that's worthwhile. And uh, through that one person's passion and commitment, everything else good has come about. And so it doesn't take a universal effort to start. If there is one person listening to this that feels like this could make a difference in their organization, we would encourage them to uh, contact their local hauler or contact Alex if they're in Washington County and just begin the journey because it's an amazing journey once you get going. Scott, Alex, thank you so much for being here today. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Punky Scott, owner of The Bomber in Milwaukee. Oregon's love of food runs deep. The evidence is all around us in our restaurants and hotels that pride themselves on high quality fresh ingredients. And to truly cherish food, we have a responsibility to stop wasting it. As food professionals, we have the power to eliminate significant amounts of waste. By ordering just enough, using it from tip to tail and root to leaf, we can show our colleagues and our customers what's possible and delicious. Visit foodwastestopswithme.org to learn more about how you can reduce food waste in your kitchen. Welcome back to Boil Down. Joining me again from the Orla team is Lori Little, Director of Communications. Welcome back, Lori. Thanks, Greg. And we've got Punky Scott, owner of The Bomber in Milwaukee. Hi, Punky. Hi there. It's great to see you again. Um, let's just jump right in. The Bomber, it's a, it's a family business, and Very it's been so. there for generations. Tell us how you guys got started. Well, my father uh, started the business uh, in 1948. He uh, established a gas station, the Bomber Gasoline Station, in 1947, and uh, somebody told him that people are going to be traveling now. They're going to buy gas, but they're going to want to <laughs> eat someplace. And so he opened a restaurant in 1948. 
So this is our 70th year in business. That's fantastic. Now, how did you get involved with the restaurant? Well, I grew up in it. Um, after World War II, people lived in their businesses. And so we lived in the back of the restaurant. And I was very popular in school because we had a place where we could make our own uh, sodas and that. So all my friends, of course, wanted to hang out with of me. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you were pretty popular. Oh, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> And so uh, your, your dad ran it for a while. And then when did you take over? I took it over in the 80s. My parents were aging, of course. They still lived on the property, but uh, they needed some help. And uh, I had worked with my husband. He was a dentist, and I'd worked as a dental assistant, but they needed help. So I got involved more. I'd always kind of been, but yeah. Yeah. Now, we talked a little bit earlier in our podcast about um, uh, jobs and how difficult it can be sometimes to find you know, work. Um, so most people though, for them, the hospitality industry is what we call the job of first opportunity. Right. And food service was your first job too, wasn't it? Well, not quite. Um, my mother had a gasoline station in Portland, um, right after the war. And, um, she had a customer who was an egg farmer and he wanted my mom to sell eggs. And she uh, declined, but she said, my daughter might want to do that. And I was little. I was six or seven years old. And so sure enough, I had my own egg-selling business. And uh, so I would go around the neighborhood and sell eggs, and I made five cents a dozen, which was pretty darn good money. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd call that a food service job. I yeah, mean, maybe, maybe not technically in a restaurant, <laughs> right. but you're in the food service industry. Right. So from selling eggs at six or seven to the Bomber restaurant, right. and tell us a little bit more about uh, how big it is, how many folks you have working there. I know you're doing catering. Um, yes, I. we have currently, we well, we've had uh, 26 employees, and uh, it's boosted up a little bit from that. Our business is picking up uh, pretty significantly recently. And um, we can seat 110 guests. We have a, a separate room for uh, gatherings. And so that'll seat uh, 35 to 40. And uh, I do a lot of catering as well. Yeah. And and we, it, go ahead, Lori. Oh, and you have some employees that have been there for an awful long time, right? Oh, yes. I've got people that have been with me over 30 years. Wow. Which is a blessing for me because they treat it like it's their own business. Sure. And I don't have to be there hovering 24-7. Sure, well, part great. of the family. Very much so. And then my my children grew up in it, uh, so they worked in the business, and now I have grandkids that work there. That's great. Wow, multi-generational. It's a blessing. What's a, what's a favorite dish for folks when they come to the Bomber? Do you, <laughs> do you have one that everybody oh, wants? Oh, yeah. Uh, chicken fried steaks have yeah. to be one of our most popular items. Um, I, I loved them when I was a teenager at a local restaurant. And they went out of business, but I encouraged my dad, we just have to have chicken fried steaks, <laughs> and uh, we sell hundreds of them. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I, I lived in Texas for a while, and uh, you know, chicken fried steak is huge down there. Right. So right. Uh, I've had the one at the Bomber. It's fantastic. We make yeah. them from scratch. Yeah. So we cut our own meat, tenderize it. We make most of our foods pretty much from scratch. Salad dressings, grind our own pork sausage, uh, make our own soups from leftover foods usually uh, from the day before's uh, roasted vegetables or the p baked potatoes right. or you name it we or chicken or whatever. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second, Good. but I know that you've had a change as well at the bomber. The bomber itself is no longer out in front of the restaurants. That's uh, right. It's, that was such an icon for so long. So can you tell us what's happening with the yes, bomber? Yes, uh, we moved it to Salem Airport. We're in the process of restoring it to flying condition 
Right now, there are about 12 in the world that are flyable, but there's only six or seven that are currently flying. So we intend to be one of those flyable airplanes. Ooh, how exciting. That's going to be great. It's a and great I, project. I know you said you've got a fly-in scheduled for, it was August yes. 3rd and 4th? Exactly, at the Salem Airport. And uh, we've got some warbirds flying in. Uh, Ericsson's from over in Madras are bringing some of their airplanes. We'll have a group uh, doing a war reenactment thing. We've got a hangar dance planned and, uh, of course, a lot of food. Gosh, wow, that <laughs> sounds like so much fun. So are you good? Will you be catering that? I will be doing some of the catering, but we'll also have some vendors down mm-hmm. there. So well, pancake you, guy you, for breakfast. Yeah, it can't be all work and no play, right? Heck, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anybody would like more information on uh, helping to support getting uh, the bomber back up and running, it's uh, www.b17alliance.com. And that's the letter B, the number 17, alliance.com. And I'm sure they'd appreciate Uh, any support that they can offer. Very much so. Well, great. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, food waste because that's what we're here on this podcast for. Um, We talked a little bit just now, you you mentioned that, you know, some of your soups and things, uh, you're you're repurposing some of the stuff that you've got from the day before. But why is reducing food waste important to you? Well, uh, a couple of reasons. One, I see people around our own country as well as around the world who are hungry. And it just seems a terrible uh, infraction to be wasting food that could be used in some better form. And so um, many years ago, my family had a pig farmer that would come by and he would take all those foods items. So we didn't worry about that. But he discontinued his uh, his business. And so here we were throwing food into, into the garbage. Yeah. And it just seemed terrible waste. So how did you get started um, with the food waste recycling or Well, composting? the county came to me and said, um, we have a program that we're instituting and we know that you are big into other recycling. Would you consider doing this? And uh, I have always been into recycling glass and paper, cardboard, you name it. And so I said, sure, I'd, I'd be happy to try it. And uh, it's been a great success in my view. Good. And any, any challenges in particular? Um, it, so far, it's been pretty darn good. The only one that I had any concerns about was the um, can liners. And um, they don't hold a, a lot of items before you pull them out of the container or the bin and so uh, we just decided to skip that part of it and we go directly into the the big uh, canisters and then we wash them out Hmm. and that works Hmm. fine Mm -hmm. so when you worked with Clackamas County on this can you tell us a little bit about how that went sure what did they sure well when they first came uh, to us they uh, in in expressing what was happening my question was, what are you going to do with this food waste? And they were very open about uh, the fact that it would be composting, which I am into that anyway in my own gardening and uh, that kind of thing. And then um, they were also talking about it radiating uh, energy, heat. And so I thought, man, this is is really a great option. And um, then... um, they were very great about coming to my business and talking with my staff. I had, I indoctrinate my, my crew anyway about what recycling is important to me. And um, so, but the county came and 
worked with them, walked through it, and explained the process. And and, uh, then they brought us the small containers to keep inside the restaurant. And um, we had several. So mm-hmm. they've been really good about that, and it's worked well. Yeah, I know that's a that's a, a, a big thing with them is they they're trying to make it easier for operators. Mm-hmm. You know, the, make it easier for restaurants and kitchens to be able to implement some of these practices. That's how it's going to work, right? Well, and that's also probably one of the bigger challenges uh, for restaurants, especially in the the back of the house or the heart of the house, as we now hear it is, is how do you train those those chefs, uh, those line cooks to make sure that they're putting it in there and not just throwing it into the trash? That's true, but it's not just the the cooks part of it. It's also the dishwashers mm-hmm. and, of course, the front staff. And um, so when the dishwashers get the dishes, if there's still food sitting on the plate, they're going to have to do something with it. And mm-hmm. But the bins have worked out really well, and um, they're very careful about yeah. it. And it's probably, and, and even more than just, just educating them, I think you just have to um, sort of build a culture around that. Exactly. And, you know, um, you want to get everybody's buy-in, but have them understand right. really what the benefits are. The other um, item on our property, we have an apartment complex. And um, the people who live in my apartments know, I, I include garbage in their rent. So that's my, <laughs> on my side. <laughs> and so uh, I've really encouraged them to do a lot of recycling. And now I sent a notice out to all of them saying, hey, we have um, these bins for food waste too. So please use those. Well, as a result of all this, um, you've seen some savings, and oh, you've made definitely. some changes to your business. Yes. Um, I have reduced some of the portions that we do because, heck, I'd, I'd see half of the servings of uh, tater tots being thrown out. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, that's dumb on my part. Let's reduce the size of the portion. And and we tend to give sizable portions Very to generous. people. And we're kind of, yeah. And I'd rather have, have them have too much than to say, gee, I spent this money and I hardly got anything to eat. Right. So, uh, but it was silly to be wasting that food. And so we've cut back some on, on some of our portions. And then, um, my garbage bill went down uh, at least a hundred dollars a month because I didn't have the food going in with the regular garbage. Right. And that made a big difference. That's great. Mm-hmm. We've talked with um, some of the folks at Metro about uh, kind of the phases of this, you know, the food waste stops with me. And there's the the part at the beginning um, where you, you make sure that you're using all of it. But you're taking that a step further with your own garden. Yes. Can you tell us about My that? My father was a big gardener. He grew up, of course, during Depression years. And um, so gardening was a, a big item. And when I was a kid growing up, we had three acres of garden, of all things. Wow. Uh, and he shared with the neighborhood and, uh, of course, used it in the restaurant. Well, after my parents uh, retired, I was involved in that. And I had one employee who did the garden. So that was great. We used fresh tomatoes and herbs and all that in the restaurant. But then he passed away. And so suddenly it was on my shoulders. And I don't have time to do that because I do a lot of other things. Uh And so I had a group of veterans come to me. And they're part of the vet rest group. And they are taking over the garden. And uh, so they will be plowing it, weeding it. Um, We have 
bunnies that came from the neighbors and I said, <laughs> warn them, you better be putting up a good fencing because those bunnies are going to love what you plan. Hungry bunnies, yeah. Uh-huh. But they are uh, they're gardening it, getting it ready. And they're, in fact, they'll be there this Saturday to uh, do raised beds and they're building their own fence around it. And they're still calling it the Victory Garden because we're very focused on our veterans. What yeah. a what a great well what a great idea, but just getting, you know, your community involved and, and I bet it's pretty rewarding for them as well. Well I, I'm sure it will be but equally as much for us too. Mm-hmm. That's great. I can remember as a kid, my grandparents had a victory garden as well. Uh, they lived in Long Beach, California okay. and the same thing, acres and acres, uh, but everybody had their own plot and they grew sure. and there was a lot of sharing that went on there. Um, you, you know, somebody had too many tomatoes, they trade them <laughs> for a little zucchini or whatever else they were growing, you but bet, yeah. uh, it's a great way to build community as Lori said. And, uh, it's great for the, the customers at your restaurant as well to get that, that fresh produce. Yeah, so. You've been, you've been doing this, uh, local sourcing long before it really became a became a trend. Very much so. Very much so. I raised my own chickens when I was a little kid. Wow. And uh, my dad would, of course, kill the chickens a hundred head at a time. And But he fed a lot of uh, friends and neighbors. Every Sunday we had chicken dinner. Yeah. So, yeah. That's fantastic. Including. Well, for other businesses that want to get involved, Punky, what, what would you recommend that they do to start composting? Well, um, I would definitely contact the county and... Um, and get acquainted with them. And I, again, they are super supportive on any questions that you might have and how it actually, it was easier than I thought it would be. So they, they were uh, supportive in talking with my crew and, and getting me enrolled in it. And so I would definitely go in that direction. Yeah. And you mentioned the pig farmer that used to come by yes. and stopped. And I know that's been a problem in the past for some of the, the food waste programs. Are you finding that they're able to pick it up, uh, especially in the summer months when it can oh, get yes. hot? Oh, yes. And, and I thought maybe I would have uh, insects or, or smell or whatever. But they come by frequently enough that things are emptied uh, promptly. And um, I, we had it all last summer and never had an issue with critters at all. So I was pleased, better than I thought it might be. Yeah. <laughs> and have you um, have you been surprised by how much you've been able to save, or how much food you were wasting oh, before? Yeah, I was shocked. Yeah. So and and I we still have potato peels, and but you can put chicken bones in there. There is no limit. I'm obviously you can't put toothpicks and paper in there, but sure. a lot of the other items are all usable. That's great. Well, any last words of advice for the folks out there? Um, I would encourage your your uh, garbage company, if they're not currently involved in being part of this group of um, picking up your food waste, encourage them to do that. And hopefully there will be a, a, a good program coming forward that will make it easier for them uh, to to do so. But uh, my company's been great, so I'm I'm really pleased. Well, that's great. Well, Punky, thank you so much for being here. Uh, TheBomberRestaurant.com is the website. And, of course, go there, try the chicken fried steak, have some of the other <laughs> fantastic food. Thank you so much for the time that you've given us today. We're going to take another quick break, and we'll come back with the Advocacy Watch. Great. Thanks for letting me be here. Of course. Hi, I'm Punky Scott, the owner of the Bomber Restaurant in Milwaukee. My dad opened the Bomber in 1948 because our family has always loved food. 
With this love of food, however, comes a huge concern over wasting it. One day I looked in the bomber's garbage bins and discovered our customers were not finishing what we served them. We made a few changes to our portion sizes, started composting, and now very little food gets wasted. Being a sustainable business is important to me and to my family. By changing how we handle food in our kitchen, we're improving our bottom line and helping to preserve Oregon's natural resources for future generations. Visit foodwastestopswithme.org to learn more about how you can help reduce food waste in your kitchen. Welcome back. It's time for Advocacy Watch. Uh, This is the part of the program where we boil down some of the local, state, and national government affairs issues that you should be aware of. And we'll start locally here uh, with the Portland police budget. Mayor Ted Wheeler has asked for additional dollars for 58 sworn officers for the city of Portland, as well as for some help with, I guess, uh, the behavioral unit, uh, some of the issues around homelessness and mental illness. Orla has been supportive of that effort, and we are encouraging our members to either show up in person and testify or send a letter or an email in support of the new police budget. And you can go to our website, OregonRLA.org, to get more information on when those public hearings are and where they can send those emails. Right. And Greg, wasn't there something just uh, came out about uh, potential business tax? Yeah. So the mayor is looking at some cuts to some programs. Uh, He's asking the other commissioners to look at about a 5% cut in each of their departments. But in addition, uh, he's been talking about an increase in the business tax from 2.2% to 2.6%. And he's thinking that's going to raise about uh, $15 million, which should cover the cost of what he wants to do here. Um, Despite that, the Portland Business Alliance and Orla are still supportive of this. We want to make sure that visitors and residents alike feel safe, uh, feel protected when they come to Portland, when they want to go dine out or stay in our hotels. Um, But we're also uh, making sure that the mayor and the city council have measurable outcomes. Um, Just like in our businesses, we need some accountability for that. So we do encourage folks to read more about that at the website. And then uh, please go ahead and send in your letters of support. Moving to regional and statewide issues, just completed a couple of rulemaking sessions on restrictive scheduling. And just as a quick reminder, if you have 500 or more employees, um, not that you're a franchise unless your franchise actually has more than 500 employees, but you'll be subject to the restrictive scheduling law that goes into place July 1st. We do have uh, some changes uh, to the law, and there is a public hearing coming up May 24th at 9 a.m., That's an opportunity for businesses to weigh in on the final rulemaking that the Bureau of Labor and Industries has put out. Uh, It's important because we were able to get um, several concessions during the negotiations in the last session, 2017, on scheduling. But we want to make sure that we're able to hold on to those. Yeah, I know that uh, we've had a number of questions from members, in particular um, at our regional meetings as well, just uh, you know, wanting a little more specifics on what the rulemaking is going to uh, bring about. Yeah, and it's of particular concern just because although it only applies to 500 or more employee establishments now, uh, the bill itself actually started with 25 or more employees. So it's a pretty big difference, but there's no guarantee that that number won't slip from 500 back down somewhere. And obviously we'll continue to fight against that, but we just want to make sure that members are well informed and that they have a chance to weigh in on this important legislation. Mm -hmm. 
Also uh, coming up statewide, we have a ballot initiative that Orla is helping to support. It is currently IP31, uh, and it's um, three-fifths means three-fifths. Uh, it's a supermajority initiative that we have. We're gathering signatures right now as a part of a coalition with other business groups. IP31 uh, is initiative petition. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Because it's, it's a little bit confusing. Sure. So right now, uh, the Oregon Constitution says that if you're going to increase a tax, you need to have a three-fifths majority in both the House and the Senate. So we have 60 uh, members of the House, which means you need 36 people to vote yes for it. We have 30 members of the state Senate, which means you need 18 of them uh, to vote yes for that. But unfortunately, uh, this last session, there was a tax credit uh, that was removed. It was voted out by a simple majority. We don't believe that that was what the intent of the Constitution was, because essentially when you take away a tax credit, you are putting a tax increase on someone. And in this case, it happened to be businesses. So we are seeking some clarification and really just enforcing and upholding what the Constitution we believe was intended, which is that if you're going to increase, decrease, uh, change a tax, you have to have that three-fifths supermajority. Uh, and that's important because we want to make sure that everything is on the up and up and um, that people understand how important it is to get that, that three-fifths supermajority when you're talking about changing taxes like that. Right. And uh, so we're asking members to, to sign a petition and signatures have to be in by July 6th? July 6th, yes. And you, again, you can go to the website, OregonRLA.org. We've got information there and a link to get the petition. Uh, sign it, send it in and uh, help us out. It'd be, it, that'd be great. Moving to the national level, uh, tip pooling was a part of the omnibus spending bill that was passed back in late March uh, by Congress and signed by the president. And the bottom line for restaurants and hotels is that means that tip pooling is once again legal in Oregon. It's a rule change by the Department of Labor. And a couple of important notes, managers, supervisors, and owners are not eligible to be a part of that tip pool. And in terms of defining managers and supervisors in particular, there will be a rulemaking session by the U.S. Department of Labor. We don't have a date yet from them, but at some point we hope in the near future they'll have a rulemaking session where they'll clarify what the definition of a manager and supervisor is. But for now... Yeah, aren't they using the duties test? They are. Uh, they're going to be using the duties test. And there was a field, administration, uh, field administrative bulletin that came out recently talking about that. Essentially, what it means is, though, that if you have a manager or supervisor who has some say in hiring or firing or setting the schedule for other employees, they're not going to be eligible. Um, you're going to have to make sure that you look very carefully at job definitions and duties uh, for those folks to see if they're going to be able to participate in the tip pooling. And if they're not, uh, does that change the compensation structure that you have for them? Yeah, I know it's, um, it's something that's going to be real important to um, owners to look at that because they have even some owners are, you know, in the front of the house serving some days uh, and managers as well. So. Right. So it's something to uh, definitely take a look at. Uh, we, again, we've got more information on our website. It's a great website. You get, we've got all kinds of information there. So. Lots of information. <laughs> well, the last thing we want to talk about is our recent trip to Washington, D.C. Uh, Jason Brandt, president and CEO of Orla and myself, went back with uh, several members of Orla. Uh, some of our uh, restaurant folks went back and talked about uh, with our congressional delegation a couple of very key issues. The first was on the tax reform. Uh, there's a 
technical error that needs to be fixed. Uh, the depreciation schedule for the federal government uh, was supposed to be 15 years in this tax reform that was just passed. But instead, uh, a earlier version was substituted accidentally, and we are at 39 years for depreciation, which does not really work for restaurants, as we heard from our members back in D.C. And so we're just asking them to fix it. Um, it was supposed to be 15 years. It, it should be a very simple fix. But, of course, nothing is simple in Washington, D.C. No. But so. you got to meet with some of Oregon's legislators. We did, actually. Uh, so we sat down with folks from uh, rep, um, from Congressman Schrader's office. Uh, we actually got to sit down with Congressman Walden in person and talk to him for about 30 minutes. And we talked with uh, Congresswoman Bonamici for a few minutes. She had to run off to a vote, but uh, we were able to at least uh, get some information to her and then talk to her staff. Um, we also talked with Congress Blum- Congressman Blumenauer's staff and then met with uh, Senator Merkley and Senator Wyden's staff as well. So uh, a lot of good information that was shared. We also talked to them about the uh, ADA, the um, Americans with Disabilities Act, drive-by lawsuits that are still prevalent. And this is where folks will come into uh, a hotel or sometimes just even drive by and notice that uh, maybe the handicapped parking sign is too short or it's not placed exactly where it needs to be. So they'll file a lawsuit and they'll settle out of court for $5,000, $10,000 because it's cheaper than going to court and paying those attorney's fees. But the problem really doesn't get fixed. And so what we're asking Congress to do is pass a bill, it's already in uh, their hands, that would give businesses 120 days cure notice. So in other words, as a business, if somebody brings something to your attention, rather than immediately going into litigation or a lawsuit, they'd have 120 days to fix the problem, which ultimately is what we're looking for, right? We want to make sure that that we're in compliance. We want to make sure that the people that are being served by the ADA um, are also getting what they need out of it. Sure. And, you know, I think this this kind of started with the swimming pools being accessible. That was a big thing just a couple of years ago when the ADA had changed um, their law on that. So we want exactly. to make sure that that uh, everybody's in compliance. Exactly. Yeah, it's, um, it's again, one of those problems that we're seeing, and uh, it's not going away anytime soon. Um, we know that, you know, when counties do health inspections, uh, we get a, a, a period of time where we're able to fix the problems that need to be fixed, and that's really what we're asking for here. Uh, ultimately, we want to make sure that, you know, everybody's happy with the end result. So we're hoping to get that passed as well. And then finally, uh, we continue to work on the um, Obamacare or uh, ACA reform, making sure that we get the definition of seasonal employees um, fixed. Right now it's around three months, could be four months, depending on how you define it, um, and which is one of the problems with it. But for a lot of our members, especially in places like the coast or in other areas where seasonality is an issue, uh, we'd like to see that extended to six months, and that will help us to, to better uh, define what we need to do there, as well as move a full-time employee from 30 hours to 40 hours a week, uh, which would help, again, clarify some of the things that we need to do um, and our employers need. A little more realistic there. Exactly. Well, hopefully it wasn't all work and no play back in D.C., uh, it was a lot of work, but we did get a chance to have some fun and uh, network with our colleagues from around the country. Uh, it's always uh, beautiful in March when you go back and see the cherry blossoms. But um, no, we, we weren't playing around too much. That's, that's not what we do back there. No. <laughs>
Well, that's all for Advocacy Watch, but please keep the emails coming. We are at info at OregonRLA.org. And let us know not only your government affairs questions, but also any opinions you might have, and then any information about what's going on in your area. At this time, I'd like to say thank you again to Alex Bertolucci from Washington County, Scott Youngblood from Embassy Suites Hilton in Washington Square, Punky Scott from The Bomber, and of course, to my co-host, Lori Little, Orla Director of Communications, for joining me today. I am your host, Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs for Orla. Thanks for listening.